Welcome to another episode of the Father Ted Talk, broadcast here at the National Shrine of St. Elizabeth Ann Seton in Emmitsburg, Maryland. Now here's Father Ted. Like last week, our short gospel today is coming from the Sermon on the Mount. And last week we heard about those Beatitudes, and this week we heard what we will be if we practice those Beatitudes. We will be salt and we will be light. So this week our Lord is telling us that we can be salt and light. So he's describing metaphorically what a practicing Catholic will do to his surroundings. Now, a lot of emphasis is put upon that, neat, that notion of being light. You know, from the very beginning of the Bible, where the Lord God says, let there be light, all the way to the very end, when we hear that the heavenly Jerusalem will have no lamps because the Lord God himself will be their light. Light is a theme that runs throughout the scriptures. But we don't really focus so much upon our vocation to be like salt. And so what does our Lord mean when he says, you are the salt of the earth. What would that look like to be the salt of the earth? Before anything else, notice that he, said, he, he doesn't say, you are the salt of the church. Our mission is to go out and to transform the world. Salt that stays in the shaker doesn't really do much good. You know, too many Christians are proactive and energetic about doing things in their parish community, which is good. But when it comes to witnessing to their coworkers or their friends or even their spouses, they lose a lot of that vigor. And don't even think about asking them to, to knock on doors or to pray in front of an abortion clinic. Supporting fellow believers is good, but that's not what salt is primarily meant for. The salt has to go forth. And so there's one Monsignor from the Archdiocese of Washington who said, when the priest or deacon says, the Mass is ended, go in peace. It's like he's taking a salt shaker and shaking it. Now, to see what sort of influence we should have in the world, it's necessary to examine the uses of salt. It's like, what, what, do you, what do you do with salt? Because our Lord is saying, we're supposed to be like salt. So what's salt like? What's salt used for? And that's going to help us to figure out what we're supposed to do, what we're supposed to be like. Now, counterintuitively, one of the most primordial uses of salt is destruction. We use salt to damage things, to break things. So for example, in these winter months when, the, when there is ice, we put salt on our sidewalks to destroy, to melt the ice. In ancient times, especially around the Mediterranean where there's not a lot of salt, I'm sorry, where there's not a lot of ice, they use the salt to perhaps destroy the farmlands of their enemies. So when a, a country or a city was conquered, the conquerors might use salt to ensure that they could never plant in that territory again. It would be like the definitive wipeout of that civilization or town or populace. But even in the field of medicine, we use salt to destroy. You know, before they had antibiotics, if you had a wound, you might sprinkle salt in that wound to ensure the destruction of any kind of bacteria or microorganism that could be harmful to your health. And so, on the one hand, to be like salt means to eradicate something. A Christian should challenge those sinful practices or those structures of sin 
that are present in society. Like those institutions or those organizations or those individuals that are conducive to sin, that are promoting sin, that are doing damage in our society, we're supposed to have a destructive element when it comes to them. We're supposed to tear down those structures of sin, to not allow the evil to, to continue unabated. We should object, we should protest when there is wrongdoing taking place. Now, there will almost certainly be this process of destroying the sinful structures of our society will almost certainly be disagreeable or painful to non-believing neighbors of ours. And just like when you put salt in a wound, it's going to irritate, the truth of the gospel can be irritating to a world that is wounded by sin. Non-believing, non-believers might label our faith as offensive or as unwelcoming or as uninclusive, but the sting of the gospel is a healing one. It drives out the disease of sin and error. And remember, despite the fact that people complain about it, it's actually good for them. Despite the sting and destruction that it causes, the gospel does good. So on the one hand, eradication, destruction. On the other hand, we don't do this much these days, but before refrigeration, salt was used for its preservative qualities. So if you want to make sure that a piece of meat, for example, from a slaughtered animal in the, in the farm didn't go bad, you rubbed it down with salt to make sure that it would stay fresh, it would stay usable, you could consume it months after the fact, you could ship it. So salt is used to destroy, but also to preserve, to maintain, to keep feasible or usable certain things. So if Christians are going to be the salt of the earth, we must also have a certain preservative quality on our surroundings. We should preserve what is good. It should be easy for people to, go, to, do, to be good around us. This is a very specific example. Like, how can we preserve the good? We probably all know somebody around whom it is hard to sin, around whom you tend to watch your mouth, around whom you do not tell certain stories or gossip about certain people. When this person walks into the room, the moral standard gets a little bit elevated. Maybe it's a parent or a mentor or some sort of superior. Maybe it's a friend of yours. There's a, there was a young man who was telling me one time that he saw somebody else, he saw one of his good friends doing something. He wasn't sure if he, it was okay, if it was not okay, but he saw one of his good friends doing it and he said, well, if even he's doing it, it has to be okay because this is such a good person that he would never do anything that was wrong. We want to have that kind of uplifting quality. We want to preserve what is good in the world around it. Make, make it easy for people to be good in our presence. And last of all, salt adds flavor, or it seasons food. So this is something that we still do to this day. You know, there are certain foods which are just inedible until you salt them at least a little bit. I had the unfortunate experience of being in a religious house where a number of the inhabitants were uh, suffering with health situations that prevented them from consuming large amounts of salt. And so the diet of the house was salt-free. All the foods were cooked without salt. And it was not the most pleasant of experiences. It was something which made the meals functional, but not so much enjoyable. 
And so we put salt to make things flavorful, to, to lift them up, to enhance them, to enhance the experience. Now, on the one hand, you could say, well, that's how Christians are supposed to be in the world. We're supposed to bring a little bit of optimism into a world that is very pessimistic. We are supposed to bring some joy into the world that is a little bit on the downside, is downcast. We are supposed to bring hope into a depressed society. And all that is true and good. But if you look at the Old Testament, you'll see that there was a very specific meal that was supposed to be salted. It was actually prescribed in the book of Leviticus that the sacrifices of a cereal nature, that's to say the grain offerings, the bread offerings, those were to be salted. Leviticus says, you shall season all your cereal offerings with salt. With all your offerings, you shall offer salt. And we see the same in other Old Testament passages. So it was something essential. Like if you wanted to offer a sacrifice of food to God, you would first salt it. That was necessary. So there might be something deeper going on when Jesus describes his followers as the salt of the earth. He's not just referring to salt that gives flavor to an everyday meal. He's likening his followers to the salt that was sprinkled on sacrifices that were offered to God in the temple. And this makes sense in the light of other New Testament passages. Like in Romans 12, St. Paul tells us to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice to the Lord. We are to make a holocaust of ourselves, a burnt offering of ourselves to the Lord. Holocaust means burnt offering. In other words, the Christian vocation is not just to sacrifice something to God, but to become a sacrificial offering to the Lord for the salvation of the world. The same way that that salt that was put on the offerings was offered up with the grain or the bread, so too are we supposed to be offered up to God with Christ, uniting ourselves to the sacrifice of the Mass that is taking place here, connecting ourselves to Jesus Christ crucified who is offered to the Father in every Mass. But you could go even further, and you could say that not just we ourselves are supposed to be offered to God as a sacrifice, but the entire world. Christ came to save the world. All of creation is supposed to be offered, presented to the Father in Christ. But before you present anything to the Father, you have to salt it. And we are supposed to carry out that function. We are supposed to enhance the flavor of the sacrificial offerings that are presented to the Father. And only when we have that salty effect on our world is the world then able to be offered to the Father. And so it's a lot to meditate upon there. But let's just remember that our Lord indicated that none of these effects will take place if his disciples lose their saltiness. So yes, we are supposed to preserve, we are supposed to destroy, we are supposed to be sacrificial offerings, but that depends upon us being salty. And how can salt lose its flavor? Biblical commentators have pointed out this is a little bit complicated because salt is always salty until it stops being salt. You don't cease to be salty insofar as it still is salt. But that right there is the answer. To the extent that we are Catholics, to the extent that we do practice our faith, to the extent that we are disciples of God, we will have salty effects upon the world. It's when we stop being salt it's when we cease to be disciples. It's when we stop practicing our faith 
that we cease having these effects upon the world. Salt can't help but give these effects. Salt doesn't choose to melt ice. Salt doesn't choose to preserve meat. Salt doesn't choose to kill bacteria. It just does it. A Catholic who is truly practicing doesn't choose to be, to preserve the good things in the world, doesn't choose to eradicate the evil. He just does it naturally. It's part of who he is. But a Catholic can fail to have those salt-like qualities. And it typically begins with the well-intentioned desire to help people by reducing the demands of the faith or by adapting them to different people's situations. Or maybe we let this happen. We lose our saltiness because of we're just trying to fit in. We're just trying to be one more. We don't like being exceptional. We don't like going against the curve. Or we're just afraid of what people will say or think. And in such a case, we can't sanctify the world and bring it to God as an offering to him. If we lose our saltiness, the world around us will go bad. Things that are meant to be enhanced won't be enhanced. Things that are meant to be preserved won't be preserved. And things that are meant to be challenged or destroyed won't be challenged or destroyed. It was against this kind of faith, this kind of church that G.K. Chesterton wrote, we do not want a church that will move with the world. We want a church that will move the world. If the soul, if we don't have a soul in our bodies, we're a corpse. Christians are the soul of the world. We're the ones who animate it and give life to the world. But if we lose our saltiness, we're worthless and failing to live out what we're called to be as disciples of the Lord. So today we can ask Our Lady to pray for us that we might always stay salty so that what should be preserved will be preserved. What should be destroyed will be destroyed. And in this way, the world, including ourselves, will become an offering acceptable to the Father.